Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. The following program is a podcast1.com production. So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more, spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And speaking of ripoffs, coming up in 20 minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, there is an ugly con going on right now, conning retailers, causing you all kinds of problems. I'm going to tell you what you need to be alert and aware to to shut down the criminals. And coming up in a half hour, the way you book hotel stays is going through a major transformation right now, and I want you to know how this can be much to your advantage. Clark.com is our website. If you love deals, you'll love ClarkDeals.com. It's where we curate the best bargains out there each and every day at ClarkDeals.com. I got an amazing thing to share with you. I don't know if you know, but England, Great Britain, that was really the birthplace and original heartbeat for energy from coal. And in England, they used to have an enormous problem with massive, massive smog that people would call pea soup fog. And there was so much air pollution, and people would die from it. It would shorten people's lives. They'd develop asthma and all the rest. Well, Great Britain has moved so far towards alternate forms of energy, especially wind energy, that they just had a 24-hour period where they used zero coal in the entire country. In the United States, we are on the edge of the same kind of progress in many states. Iowa gets roughly 40% of its energy now from wind power. Texas is the nation's leader in getting energy for businesses and consumers from wind and solar. And there was just a contract let for a wind project where there is no, zero government subsidy at all because wind in many places now is cheaper than any other form of energy. We've had a lot of talk about the dislocation in the coal industry in the United States and the workers who no longer have jobs, what's not talked about is there's far more people in America now who work in the solar industry than have worked in the coal industry and forever. We have to embrace change and forget the environmental thing. Let's just talk the other kind of green, money. It is really smart for us as a nation to be a leader in the development of alternative energies because that's going to create a huge export market for us. If we sit on our hands and allow the communists in China to own alternative energies, they will be the equivalent of the Saudi Arabia of the next century. I want that to be America. I want us 
to be the world leader in new ways of providing energy so that we can remain in our dominant position as the world's strongest country and world's strongest economy. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mark. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Mark. You want to talk about the impossibility of passwords. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, appreciate you taking my call. I, my wife and I, um, just because we have so many different passwords and so many different accounts um, and usernames for online accounts, we, we've been using a spreadsheet that we store in Dropbox to house all that information so that we can access it when we need to. But I worry about the security of that. And so I'm wondering what your feeling on that would be. And then, if, you know, if you feel negatively about it, what you would recommend. So this came up before and I kind of fumbled on the answer. And so we heard from a techie who suggested a whole different strategy for saving the passwords and pens and all that. And that's using a thumb drive. Oh, okay. And that way you have something that you, you're going to know where it is. You could put it in a firebox, whatever it is you would do with it, but that you wouldn't be dependent on the security of Dropbox that if it was compromised, that somebody then has to, the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, yeah no, that makes a lot of sense because yeah, we, we would be in a world of hurt if somebody got access to that Dropbox account. And, you know, thumb drives are, what are they, like $5, $3? Yeah, pretty cheap. I've noticed that when we're at CES, the electronic show, a lot of people give them away, so they must cost like nothing to make. <laughs> but, they, but it would provide you uh, potentially the security you're looking for for the usernames, passwords, pens, and you just got to remember where you put the thumb drive. <laughs> now, the alternative is Dashlane. And I don't know if you've looked at Dashlane. You uh, f- I have not, but I know my wife has. So, so Dashlane, the beauty of it is that uh, it creates these incredibly complicated, unique usernames and passwords for you for every site, and you only have to remember the one that you've set up with Dashlane. Now, what that brings up is just like we were talking about with Dropbox. If somebody hacks into your Dashlane account, you have the same issue back again that you would have had with somebody hacking into Dropbox. So that, again, probably makes doing the thumb drive, it was the suggestion from the techie who corrected me on a Clark Stinks, still probably the superior answer. Okay. So, so if you, how would you feel... Um I have two-factor authentication on Dropbox. Recognizing that the thumb drive is probably the most secure, how comfortable would you be with using Dropbox two-factor authentication? Would you be more comfortable, or do you still think the, the risk is still just as great? I think two-factor authentication takes you to a point that if you get hacked successfully at that point, you're just unlucky. <laughs> so, you know, you we can't have certainty in life. You know, right. there's like... Nothing that's certain. And it's all a matter of odds, right? right? And I'd say that by having the username and password on 
on Dropbox that I hope is not similar to any other you use, and then using two-factor authentication, I think you can rest easy. Cool. And I am. Thank you so much. I'm so into sure. I'm so into the two-factor authentication. Every bank account, brokerage account, email account, everything should have two-factor authentication. Which is all that means is that there's an additional step taken to verify your identity beyond username and password. Often it'll be a text with a one-time use code sent to your cell phone. Good luck to you. If you have a question for me. I want you to get an answer. I mean, this show is about you being empowered with information. That's why for 20 years plus now, we have provided free off-the-air advice to answer your questions. You can talk with a member of Team Clark nine hours each weekday. Details about how you do that explained at Clark.com. Follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com slash ask Stuart joins us on the clark howard show and Stuart, am i believing yes, am i believing this i am told that you have driven a car far enough that you could go basically to the moon and back and still have more miles that you've driven Oh, yeah, we, we had the top end of the engine taken off here lately, and they said that it still has some life left in it, too. Uh, so that's that's where my problem lies, Clark. Uh, I'm at 616,000 miles on this car. And, uh, <laughs> I, I know there's there's people out there like me. I, we're, we're a special breed. but uh, All right, so, Stuart, I, I, I just want- pulled up this. It's 238,000 miles to the moon. So uh-huh. you're getting close to going to and from and again to the moon equivalent in miles on that vehicle. Yes, sir. And I, I was hoping to make it back again, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get a little tiny bit scared. <laughs> well, the, you, the mid- obviously, the, obviously, obviously you have gotten your money out of that vehicle. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And and my problem my problem really is lying in the last suggestion I got for a ve- for a vehicle uh from from the Ask Clark team was the Volkswagen T D I. And we all know what happened there. <laughs> so <laughs> So I was kinda wondering with the money it would take to restore the car, freshen up the engine uh, do the trans, do the body and the interior, I, I would be at the new car money. So uh, that's where my problem lies. You know, I, I could keep on juking this thing along until the wheels fall off and I have them paid to put back on again. But once they're paid to put back on again, you know, it, it gets a little bit expensive. So what I'm so, just, I'm so curious, what make and model do you have? What model year? Oh, it's a 1980 Mercedes-Benz uh, 240 diesel with a manual transmission and all the manual locks and everything. Right. So I'm not knowledgeable enough to know if you keep that thing and restore it, is it for your own enjoyment or is that old enough and at this point rare enough that you would have a classic vehicle that at some point at the vehicle auctions for... 
the premium classic cars, you could score some real money. Uh, no, they were they were so mass produced, Clark. That it, that, you know, they're 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 a dime a dozen, you know, everywhere. The 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 attachment lies in the fact that it came from my grandmother, oh. you know, brand new. So that's that's the only attachment that I, I really have to the car. Other than that, I've been trying to kill it since I got it. <laughs> well, I I think um, with all due respect to your grandmom. I think it's time for you to get a new vehicle. All right. We're, do, do they make anything that lasts as long as these things do? Because honestly, I don't ever want to buy another car as long as I live. Well, you know, when we've had calls from people who've kept cars an exceptionally long time, uh-huh. people are so hyper-loyal to whatever brand they've been able to keep on the road forever. And we we did a contest a few years ago where people posted on Clark.com pictures of what vehicle they were still driving and what year it was from and how many miles it had. And I think the oldest somebody was using as their daily driver was a car from 1976. And the brands were all over the place. A lot has to do with your ability to maintain a vehicle yourself and your aptitude at doing that. But if you look at Consumer Reports Guide, a lot of times what you'll see are the most reliable vehicles are the Toyota Corollas. That's a very different car than driving a Mercedes 240 diesel. Oh, yeah, I imagine they've made some upgrades between 1980 and now. Yeah, their cars are pretty different now. So I I would say don't even listen to what I just said about the Toyota. Buy what you would like to have and what you would enjoy, but cross-reference it with Consumer Reports uh, records of reliability, and you can buy access to that at ConsumerReports.com. I think it's really valuable when you're trying to narrow down what you're going to get to see what makes and models in particular years have proven to be by far the most reliable. And good for you having a vehicle on the road more than 600,000 miles. Here on the Clark Howard Show, it's my job to alert you to the latest trends and scams. There's one that was big a few years ago that has roared back, and I need to tell you to protect your wallet. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. So this one is really creepy. Criminal will get your credit card number. Who knows how? They know where you live. They know your name. They know all kinds of stuff. And they will order stuff online, typically electronics, have them shipped to your house. They will track the package coming to your house from the retailer. And then within minutes of the item being delivered to your front door, they will pick that item up and vanish with it, either by having another delivery service come and pick it up, or they themselves will have what's known as a runner come and pick it up. The perpetrators don't want to be caught red-handed, so they're usually not the ones picking up the item. 
Now, sometimes you'll know just because you monitor your own credit card bills electronically and you'll see a weird charge for hundreds or thousands of dollars for something you know you didn't do, immediately contact the retailer. Also, if you get a weirdo bill and they say, well, we delivered this to your house, know that this is probably what happened, that a criminal bought something and had it picked up without basically a trace. So if you have an unusual charge and then they say, hey, it was yours, buddy, you know what happened, how the con works, and how to fight back to get your money protected in your wallet. Okay, you're a human, which means you've done laundry some point in your life. And you know what a hassle it can be, separating the laundry, preparing, doing multiple loads? It's not fun. Well, Home Depot might have a solution that makes it easy, really. They have the new Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry Washer and Dryer Pair. These innovative appliances are the first ever to allow you to wash two loads and dry two loads of laundry at the same time in the same machine. So when you do the laundry, you don't have to mix different colors and fabrics together and destroy your clothes. Flex Wash integrates a large capacity lower washer for everyday washes and then an additional washer for separate colors and delicates. And the Flex Dry integrates a large tumble dryer for everyday items and a flat dryer for your delicates. You wash one load, you dry one load, everything's done. And both the washer and dryer have a number of innovative features that make laundry super easy. Like the Flex Wash offers a steam wash option for removing stains and a self-clean to keep the water odor-free. And Flex Dry features multi-steam to steam away odors and wrinkles, while Sensor Dry optimizes drying temperatures to avoid damage to your clothes. It's technology you can really appreciate. And both are Wi-Fi connected, which allows you to set and start the machines and receive alerts when a load is finished. Together, the Flex Wash and Flex Dry offer the ultimate flexibility to provide the best possible care for your clothes. So get to Home Depot now and check them out. The Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry washer and dryer pair. If you're wondering how to get the funding needed to run a small business today, Cabbage has the answer. Cabbage helps small business owners access simple and flexible funding right away without the headaches that come with applying for a traditional loan. You can apply online or from your phone by securely linking your business information to get an automatic decision. There's no waiting in line. There's no scanning documents or tracking down financial statements. Cabbage gives you the flexibility to decide what's best for your business. And once you're approved, you choose when to use your funds and how much you're going to take. You only pay for the funds that you actually use. Cabbage has supported over 100,000 small businesses with $2.9 billion in funding already. Visit cabbage.com save. There's no cost to apply or set up your line of credit. And just for listening to this podcast, when you qualify for funding, you'll get a $100 Visa gift card that you can use anywhere. That's Cabbage with a K. K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash save. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Our web address, Clark.com. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Wanted to tell you that there's an industry going through a big change, compliments of technology, and that's how you book a hotel room. Hotel rooms, hotels used to do things pretty standard. 
check in at 3 o'clock, check out at 10, 11, or noon. And that was the way it's worked forever. And that's the way some traditionalists in the hotel business do things. But the hotel industry is starting to flex with the way people's lives work. And some hotel chains are now experimenting with continuous rolling 20-hour stays, in some cases 24-hour stays. So instead of you being straightjacketed by you can't check in till 3 o'clock, let's say you take a red-eye flight and you get somewhere and it's 6.30 in the morning, well, do you want to sit around in a lobby groggy till 3 o'clock to be in the room? No, you don't. So now what hotels are experimenting with, and some aren't doing this experiment anymore, it's now how it works, is if you arrive then, you can check in then, but you also have to check out the next day by the same time you checked in. Other hotels are allowing you to rent a hotel for a block of hours, not for illicit purposes, but specifically because you have a situation where you need some rest. And maybe you need a hotel room for eight hours or six hours and not overnight. There's even an app for it called Recharge, where it's pretty expensive, but you can pay per minute for rest time. Now, again, if you're getting weird ideas, a lot of hotels now are having a certain number of rooms that are miniaturized so that only one person can fit in that room anyway. But the technology is turning out to be the hotel operator's friend because they're, in many cases, able to get what they call an additional turn of that room in the same period that they would have in the past only gotten one turn. And it allows the hotel potentially to have less staffing because instead of all rooms having to be cleaned up in a short window, in a five-hour window, now the window is greatly expanded and staffing may well be able to be reduced. It's one of those things that's a win all the way around. But if you really want to win on booking hotels... Nothing beats Priceline. Nothing beats Priceline. If you are willing to accept that you are booking a non-refundable room at a star level in a part of town and you don't know the name of the hotel till after you paid non-refundable, you will save a fortune. Most people aren't going to do that. Probably never more than 5% of people will be willing to do that. If you're willing to be in that 5%, you're going to love how much money you save. And I have step-by-step how to do that on my travel tips section at Clark.com. Sandy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Sandy. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good today. How are you? Great, thank you. So, um, unfortunately, you're getting a settlement, which means something bad happened to you. Are you okay? <laughs> Yes, I'm fine. It was uh, my car was stolen. So, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. 
So um, I'm curious. Tell me, tell me more because it's never any fun having a car stolen. No, it really wasn't. Um, but they found it, and I have a wonderful insurance company, and um, they're going to send me this settlement. And I'm wanting to pay off my credit card debt with this. So your vehicle recovered. You're still able to operate it? It was in okay shape? No, it was totaled. Oh, I'm sorry. So you had to get all new wheels and all that. Yes. And then you have this money. So you took out a car loan for the new wheels? Yes. All right, and you got a good deal on that, I hope? Yes, I did. Okay, so now you've got the... What's essentially rearranging money here that's coming in. Right. What's your credit card story that you're thinking of using it for that? Um, well, I'm. it's about 8500 total uh, in debt to these credit cards. And I probably will not get another opportunity to pay them all off. But I have heard for years that if you completely pay off all of your credit cards, your credit score goes down. Incorrect. Incorrect. Okay. That is that is an, a suburban legend. I, that doesn't even make it as an urban legend. <laughs> okay. Not true. So, Not true. yeah, you can feel free to pay them off. Now, here's the thing, though. When people pay off an outstanding credit card balance using a one-time amount of money, often, and I just got to lay this out for you, okay. that within 18 months people typically will have the cards charged back up to where they were before they had the one-time sum of money. Okay. So that means if you're going to use this windfall as a way to wipe out the credit card debt, uh-huh. you've got to come up with a new way of how you have a relationship with plastic. Okay. So you know what that relationship has to be? Yes, <laughs> pretty much. And how do you feel about that? Uh, I think at this point, yes, I, I could do that. All right. And what do you think I actually mean? Because we're speaking around it. What do you think I'd like you to do with the cards? Well, if I have to charge something, I don't want to charge more than I could pay when the bill came in. That's true. But where should your cards be? Uh, at home in a drawer. No, not good <laughs> enough. <laughs> I want them in the deep freeze. Okay. So here's what I'd like you to do. Okay. Once you take one of those freezer bags, hopefully a store brand freezer bag and not a brand name. Okay. Once you put water in it, put your credit cards in that bag with the water, seal it, and throw that bag in the freezer. Okay. The reason is, is if those cards are in the drawer and all of a sudden you see a great one-day sale on something or whatever... Too much temptation to reach in the drawer, grab that card, and off you go. <laughs> okay. And you may think I'm teasing. I'm not teasing. No, you put I know the bags in the free. You put the cards in the freezer in that bag, and let's say you're tempted. What are you going to do? Now, I had one caller who so badly wanted to go buy something on a one-day sale uh-huh. that she <laughs> put the bag in a microwave. Oh, my God. And the cards warped like they were fried bacon with a ridge in them. So the oh idea God. is by the time the cards would thaw, <laughs> your desire to spend the money goes away, but you still have the accounts in existence. Okay. So if you really had to had to have them, you could get to them. Okay. And do you have to keep them, do you have to do something to keep them active? 
Good question. I recommend that in order to keep cards active, both in your credit score mix and so that they don't say, because of inactivity, we're closing your account. Right. This is this is where it gets dicey. Okay. But you have to use them twice a year. Twice a year. So how do you do that without suddenly falling off the wagon and using the cards again? What I recommend is you take them one day, twice a year, and you buy, let's say, a hamburger. You go buy gas with, one, with another one. And, uh, you know, so you just use them each for one small transaction, Okay. pay the bill, and then they go right back in the deep freeze. If you do all that, go for it. James joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, James. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. You have a question for me about Social Security, which the younger people on our crew don't believe will exist for them when they hit retirement. Yes, that's right. I, I might be a part of that, that group there. <laughs> that's why I was calling. That's, I was wondering how you calculate, if it's still in place, how much you can expect. Do you know what it's based on? or So what the Social Security Administration does is, how old are you right now? 30. All right, so at 30, any projections you would see today are a joke. Okay. But they will send you, I forget what age you are where they start sending it, have, have either you received one yet? You're both receiving them. You should be receiving, because Joel is in your ballpark and age, you should be receiving an annual statement from the Social Security Administration showing based on your prior earning history what you can expect to receive at 62 and then at full Social Security earning age and then again at age 70. So have you been receiving anything like that from Social Security Administration? I thought I'd seen something where they'd given me like a 10-year overview, but I don't know that I, I mean, it's possible. I have my mail forwarded here where I'm at, but it's possible that I have, but I haven't gotten anything this year for sure. Okay. So they send you this. I got one like in the last month that showed me my likely earning in, from Social Security. But, you know, at my age... I can pretty much rely on the amounts they're showing me. In your case, who knows how it will work and what you'll receive. And also, it's calculated based on your earnings, what earnings you'll have all those years down the road. So for now, I don't think it's realistic for you to worry about that. Here's how I would do it. Figure that in retirement, If you're a good saver, Social Security will represent 25% of what you have to live on 30-plus years from now. Okay. So that way, that means what I want you to be thinking about is most of the game is going to be on your shoulders. Mm Mm-hmm. And as long as you have that mentality, you're going to do a better job planning and saving and would not rely in any meaningful way particularly for somebody as many decades out from retirement as you are, I wouldn't even begin to think about Social Security being any significant chunk of change for you. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, I'm curious. I don't think I've ever gotten a call from someone your age asking this. What was it that spurred the thought in you? Well, I just recently been started listening to your show. I actually downloaded the podcast, and I've just been trying to work on retirement and uh, trying to be a little bit more 
I mean, we've been saving for years, but we really need to start investing and doing stuff. But one of the questions I saw, I guess it was on a, some website somewhere, was they were asking how much do you expect to make or receive from different pensions or different things or Social Security. And so I thought, well, man, maybe I'm supposed to know or have an idea. So then I thought, well, man, I'll, I'll post it on Ask Clark and see what happens. But that's why I started to think about it because I was just like, well, let me see. I, I wasn't really counting on that being my retirement, but I said, well, maybe I'll try and find the answer and see. I, I love, I love the reason I asked is I love your response because it's unusual that someone's thinking three decades out like you are. And when you do think that way, you start to do more about it and start to save more money. The main thing is to make sure you're saving at least a dime of every dollar you make. Are you doing that yet? Yes. Great. So at your age, I'd look at Social Security, any money you receive as found money, as almost like bonus on what you've been able to salt away all through the years. Follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com slash ask. June joins us on the Clark Howard Show. You have a money question for me about America. Is that right? Yes. What's what that I, question? What I'm trying to find out is um, get a sense of how stable our currency is, how safe is our currency. We have a lot of savings. Uh, I'm looking at retirement in three years, and uh, and I the debt is so high, I'm a little nervous and wondering if uh, we should be looking at investing in foreign currency. Well, I'd like to first put your mind at ease, but a lot of other places in the world are having more trouble than we are, and the U.S. dollar is in decent shape. We don't have much inflation in the United States, so the dollar is looked at, it's, it's been for a long, long time what's known as the world's reserve currency. In tough times, it's the safest place to have your money on Earth. And barring uh, some horrendous war or something like that, that's not changing in the foreseeable future. We're still the best show, not in town, the best show on planet Earth as far as where to put your money. And doing foreign currency exchange is tough. I mean, even Uh people who do it every day lose money doing that, doing buy, sell, trade of foreign money. So I'll tell you what I would be about, though, is that on the investment side, I believe there's great value for you to invest overseas through overseas mutual funds uh-huh. because you get a double play here. Not only are you buying things where ultimately the value of your account will rise and fall with foreign money, but also the value of your account will rise and fall based on how foreign companies do. And particularly if you look at third world kind of countries, over the long haul, they're going to grow quicker than we are. Uh-huh. So in the short haul, there's more risk for you being in, invested overseas. But over the long haul, you're going to earn more money being invested in overseas companies rather than being invested in overseas money. With three years, looking at retiring in three years, would that be something that would, would be uh, advisable? So three years from retirement, when you retire, you don't suddenly poof, turn everything into cash. Right. Because 
you hope that in retirement you live another 30 years plus. So you have to remain at least in part an investor for the duration because inflation is your big enemy when you look out 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years from now. I don't think I'll be around. (laughs) Why is that? How old are you? I'm 62. (laughs) Yes, 30 years. Do you know how likely you'll be around 30 years from now? Not with my family history. (laughs) That's what I say, too. I mean, I'm I'm already almost in overtime compared to how long men live in my family. But you got to plan for the possibility that you might outkick them. Yeah. And healthcare, even though we have our problems with healthcare, people are living longer. So you have to think in terms of a long game, not a short one. And the reality is, you're 62. The amount of money you have exposed in stock type choices needs to be much smaller than it would have been at a younger age, but you still got to be in that game. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. This is Norman Lear with my great sidekick, Paul Hip. Good to be here with you, Norman, on All of the Above. That's the name of my podcast, All of the Above. And uh, it's called All of the Above because we're going to talk about All of the Above. There isn't anything sacrosanct. There's nothing too above us or uh, below or us. Or below us. Well, certainly nothing too below us. But we have had guests you cannot believe. Yeah. Guests. Julie Louis Dreyfus, amazing. Yes. And America Ferrara. Jared Carmichael. Yes. Oh, Amy Poehler. How did we overlook? We didn't overlook Amy Poehler. I was saving her for last. And Charles Barkley, I was saving him for first, actually, because I didn't declare her first. I get to hang out with this guy. And this is your chance to hang out with Norman Lear a little bit here and some of these great guests. God, I wish I was you hanging out with Norman Lear. Yeah. <laughs> Son of a gun. See? That must be exciting. It's the yeah. best. He's, I'm oh. telling you. Don't miss all of the above with Norman Lear. Download new episodes every week on the Podcast One app or subscribe at podcastone.com. I'm so glad that you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about empowerment with knowledge. So you can make smarter financial decisions. I want you to learn advice, learn from advice, actually, that'll help you keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Half hour from now, I'm going to tell you the secret of the fountain of youth. Can't wait to hear that, right? Right now, I want to talk about something that is such a potential danger to your wallet, I need to explain. Do you know that condos 
have been going up in value quicker than single-family homes. And so people may buy condos thinking it's a sure thing that the value is going to be a better thing for your wallet than having a traditional house. Well, I want to talk about what happens with condos. Typically, people buy condos with a mentality that it's a shorter-term decision, a shorter-term purchase, and then they think of single-family homes as a longer-term decision, a longer-term purchase. The reality is the opposite. Condo values go up and down with huge peaks and steep valleys. Homes, other than what happened with the uh, financial scandals last decade and the real estate bust where there was a collapse in home values, historically, home values move much more moderately over time than condos. Homes are kind of like the turtle of real estate investing. Steady as you go, steady as you go. Condos, on the other hand, are like something on way too much caffeine. Up, down, up, down, up, down in pretty severe movements. So to level that out and to lower the risk of owning a condo, you need to look at owning a condo for a longer cycle than owning a single-family home. You know, when somebody asks me about buying a home, I tell them that your ownership cycle, in order to have the potential to not get hurt and have the potential to do okay with it, is a minimum of five to seven years. A condo, on the other hand, you should never walk into buying a condo that you would think of owning for less than seven years because the volatility and the value of condos. I mean, if you really want to increase your safety level, you buy a condo with the intention of owning it for 10 years. My experience over the years, though, is people think about owning a condo for typically a three-year cycle. Way too much volatility, way too much risk. If you want something to have for three years, you're much better off to be a renter instead of an owner of a condo. And especially right now, with condos having risen so much in value, do you know the average condo around the country has gone up roughly 40% over the last five years? Significantly more than the average house. So remember that and know the level of risk because what goes up, well, it can do the reverse too. Thomas is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Thomas. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Thomas. How can I be of service to you? I am an independent contractor, somewhat new to to being an independent person, but I have to do uh, some work this year in an area of the country and I'll be on a lot of uh, minimally maintained roads and such. And I'm looking at renting a pickup to get me through that month. And I've only rented a car once in my life, not really familiar with it. I need to know how I get the best deal and business versus personal use of a rental car. Well, call me crazy, but if you're going to be using a pickup truck, work truck kind of thing, and uh-huh. you're going to have it for a month, 
Yep. What if you bought a really used one? Then you might find after the month you didn't put much money into it that it turns out to be really practical in your life and you want to keep that thing. Or well, you I turn have, around I and you a, sell it. I have a used pickup right now, an older pickup right now that um, I thought about, but I'm just not quite sure if I can trust it from where uh, the length of time I'll be gone and how far out in the thick of it I'll be and things like that. Huh. So. Because, because you're going to eat up a lot of your income and what mm-hmm. you'll have to pay to rent a pickup truck. And you know, most of the rental car contracts, even if you rent a work truck from them, prohibit mm-hmm. you from having it in any form of unpaved road. Oh, really? And also, uh, this is really nuts with a pickup truck rental, but a lot of the contracts prohibit you using a rental for for work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you can use a rental to get, you know, to do, to go from place to place, but using it as a work truck itself yep. that's used in a work environment is often prohibited by the contracts. So you're asking for a pretty difficult thing to be able to accomplish here, renting a truck that way, uh, renting yeah. a pickup that'll be in heavy-duty kind of uh, difficult off-road use, because they're also going to want to eat you up for the damage that might mm-hmm. occur to that truck during that month. Okay. I'm I, As you can hear, I'm not excited by, <laughs> by the idea of you renting this truck at all. Yep. So your truck that you have, you think it might break down by the side of the road and never make it to well, where you're going to be working for a month? Not only that, I'm, I'm a little bit more worried about the mileage on my truck. It's an old truck with a bigger engine. I bought it with a custom-made flatbed on it, so it's a lot heavier than a normal truck is, so that really drags down the mileage. I think right now I get like 10 miles to the gallon with it. So 10 miles to the gallon, you have to drive, you said, a, how many miles is it to where you're going to be working? I'll probably put a couple thousand miles on in a month. So 2,000 miles. So that's uh, 200 gallons. That's still, even if you look at today's price, that's like $500 in fuel. Mm-hmm. And if it's an older truck, you don't have to worry much about what you do to the value of the truck with the miles you run on the odometer. Okay. I still think it argues for you taking your truck with you across those 2,000 miles, putting the miles on it, putting the fuel in it at 10 miles a gallon, and using it. Okay. I I think it's just you're asking too much of your wallet to rent a truck, and the downside, if you damage that truck and you have to pay to repair that truck, it could be huge money. I also looked at U-Haul, renting a pickup from U-Haul. But again, if you damage it off-road, U-Haul is going to rip your wallet apart. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so when you when you're talking off-road, that means off pavement because a lot of the roads exactly. are on their gravel roads and things like that. Exactly, and most contracts will say in them that you are prohibited from going off a paved road. Okay. So. I'm just very nervous about what you want to do. I, I never even got to your question, which I think was how to pay for it. But I think that it's a bad idea to do it at all. Maybe someone will call in, Thomas, who's done what you're thinking of doing, and will tell me that I'm all wrong and there's a great way for you to do it. And if somebody calls like that, we'll put them right on the air. 
Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jim. Hey, Clark. How's it going? Great. Thank you, Jim. How can I be of service to you? All right. Uh, I'm looking at moving four miles away, and I was looking for some help on how to find a local moving company. There is no easy, automatic way I can tell you to protect yourself with a move, whether you're going across the country or across town. And it requires some stuff that a lot of it's old-fashioned, and then there are other things that are really brand new. So I'm going to just mention something very briefly for people that are moving state to state, which so many people do starting in about a month. People start doing that. And there is something called the Pro Mover Program that is part of the Trade Association for the legitimate movers in the country. And with that program, people are able to find movers that have agreed to live by a code of conduct in how they handle a move. There is no equivalent for a local move. And so that is a problem for people, is being able to pick somebody who is A-OK. One thing I like is, have you ever heard me mention U-SHIP? The letter U followed by SHIP, S-H-I-P dot com? No, sir. So U-SHIP is kind of like a reverse eBay. And you can put on it what you're looking to move, how much you're looking to move, and you're able to get quotes from people and you set up a time period, you read reviews about what other people have posted about a particular mover, and the prices quoted to you go down over your reverse auction period rather than up. So are you doing a whole house move or a part house move? Uh, Part house. My only real question was, I mean, aside from the first, is that should I tell these people when they're putting together quotes that I'll be moving into an apartment on the top floor? uh, Yes, you need to tell the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Because with a local move in most places in the country, you're quoted on an hourly rate basis rather than uh, traditional where they give you with a state-to-state move, they give you a flat rate and that's, that's it. When you're moving within a state or within an area, the people moving you are generally only legally allowed to quote you an hourly rate. So that's important. When you're doing a move that is, that's why I asked you if you're doing a whole house or you're doing a partial, if you're asking people to move a certain number of possessions for you, then even in states where normally a whole house move would only be allowed to be quoted as an hourly rate, someone would be able to move stuff, like a limited amount of stuff, is able to give you a firm quote for that. But it's key that you be honest with them about what the load in and load out would be. Okay. That's perfect. Thank you. Sure. And you may find, for a local move, some useful reviews on Yelp, although it's not a specialty of Yelp. All right. I appreciate the information. All right. And good luck with your move. Anything that is at all fragile or breakable or very valuable, move yourself. And videotape the things you're having moved before you go. You know how smartphones will videotape now? Okay. Videotape your possessions. This is for any kind of move. So that if later on 
something turns up missing or in a condition that you believe is different than it was when it was picked up, you have your original video that is your best proof of what you had and what condition it was in. That's that's great. I'm going to go ahead and add that to my list now. All right. Well, good luck with your move. Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brian. Hi. Brian, you're looking to travel. Tell me. Well, I've, I've noticed that every time that I go online to check an airfare, if I don't purchase the ticket right then, maybe I go to, want to check another airline's rate or something like that. When I go back, even if it's just a few minutes, the rate seems to have gone up maybe just a few dollars. And I'm wondering if the airlines have some kind of monitoring system in place to you know, kind of gotcha if, if you didn't buy the first time. No, the problem is when you're doing a comparison and you're searching, are you looking at the airline's own website or are you looking at one of those multi, what they call meta sites, like Kayak or Airfare Watchdog or Google's Flight Search? Or I'm actually looking on the, the airline's website. Okay. There's two different issues. When you look on the, the meta sites, the multi-search sites, sometimes mm-hmm. the information is old. When you're looking at the airline's own websites and you see a fare and then it's not there when you go to book, it is not a bait and switch. It is because the computer processing of the airlines generally is a little old. I'll tell you something really crazy. Google has a better airfare search engine than any of the airlines have searching their own fares. Wow. Google used the money it had well, it has, to go buy the backbone of the overall pricing system that is used by the air travel industry in the United States and in many other countries as well. And Google never promotes this. I think they don't want to upset the antitrust Apple cart, but there is a little (laughs) hidden Google tool you can use to go search airfares that should give you superior results. Wow to what you find in an airline's own site. And you can even specify if there's a particular airline that's your preference, you can narrow it down to that preference and be able to see only that airline. And Google's link for it is google.com slash flights, F-L-I-G-H-T-S. Great. And is there any truth to the story about buying at a certain time of the week like tuesday after midnight or used to be that airfares were lowest on mondays and then there was some studies showing tuesdays and now um, although airfares generally are higher on saturdays and sundays than the other days of the week i can't discern a pattern anymore monday to friday is there one particular airline you enjoy flying well, I'm in a relatively small city, and so we don't have service from a lot of different airlines, so our choices are a little bit limited. Another search tool you should use is Kayak, K-A-Y-A-K.com, mm-hmm. which is um, the most well-known of what they call the meta searches. But are you in a market served by Southwest Airlines? I am. Okay, Southwest is not in any of these databases I'm talking about. Okay. And with Southwest, they'll do fare alerts to you that they'll email to you when there is a special, and you can even make it market-specific with them. Wow, that's great. But I'll tell you, nothing that I have found, particularly for domestic travel, 
beats this Google tool. Okay, you're a human, which means you've done laundry some point in your life. And you know what a hassle it can be separating the laundry, preparing, doing multiple loads? It's not fun. Well, Home Depot might have a solution that makes it easy. Really. They have the new Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry Washer and Dryer Pair. These innovative appliances are the first ever to allow you to wash two loads and dry two loads of laundry at the same time in the same machine. So when you do the laundry, you don't have to mix different colors and fabrics together and destroy your clothes. Flex Wash integrates a large capacity lower washer for everyday washes and then an additional washer for separate colors and delicates. And the Flex Dry integrates a large tumble dryer for everyday items and a flat dryer for your delicates. You wash one load, you dry one load, everything's done. And both the washer and dryer have a number of innovative features that make laundry super easy. Like the Flex Wash offers a steam wash option for removing stains and a self-clean to keep the water odor-free. And Flex Dry features multi-steam to steam away odors and wrinkles, while Sensor Dry optimizes drying temperatures to avoid damage to your clothes. It's technology you can really appreciate. And both are Wi-Fi connected, which allows you to set and start the machines and receive alerts when a load is finished. Together, the Flex Wash and Flex Dry offer the ultimate flexibility to provide the best possible care for your clothes. So get to Home Depot now and check them out. The Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry washer and dryer pair. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. Glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. Clarkdeals.com is our bargain site. You want a bargain? How about helping the country massively reduce health care costs by everybody in America getting out and exercising? Not going to happen, right? But I'll tell you, the stats are becoming starkly clear that the more you get out and become active, the greater an effect you'll have on your health. Listen to this from a deep, deep, thorough study that found that even five minutes of running a day, five minutes can significantly increase your lifespan. And want to share with you in depth on a three-year study that was done a few years ago and has now been subject to three years of follow-on research by a professor at Iowa State and another professor that was involved in this. There's a report in, in medical publication that I'd never heard of about how valuable running is for your health. So the professors were able to extrapolate that if you become a runner, even if you're a terrible runner, you know, you run really slowly, that running will add three additional years to your life. Nothing else was found to have that kind of effect. Exercise generally, you know, I'm a, I, I run uh, seasonally, but all year long I work out 
on aerobic machines like ellipticals and stairmasters, things like that. But I was dejected to know that all the stuff I do on aerobic machines doesn't have the beneficial effect that running has. And you know what's weird? After all the deep dive, all the studying, the professors can't figure out why running is more beneficial than other forms of exercise. They just know it is. But this is the most startling thing that Professor Lee at Iowa State has found, is that even if you smoke, even if you're overweight, even if you drink alcohol, that running will help overcome some of the negatives that obviously come with those things. Not that I'm encouraging you to say, oh, I can smoke and then I'll go run. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the benefits of exercise are so extreme. In fact, they found that the ratio of exercise to extended life is 7 to 1. That every minute you exercise running adds 7 minutes to your life. So what about it? And don't try to get out there and run a ton. Remember I said five minutes has beneficial effect. Is for other things like even walking. Another study finds there are clear benefits to you getting out and walking. The theoretical, all the fitness trackers talk about 10,000 steps a day. And there's actual real health benefits to you doing that. 150 minutes a week has tremendous health consequences to the good for you. So what are you going to do today? What exercise are you going to do? Carol's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Carol. Hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Well, it's great to have you here, and I'm really sorry that your dad has passed away. It's been eight years that my mom, she is she's struggling a little bit money-wise. And she has been thinking about a reverse mortgage. And we really do not know a lot about them. And I thought I would take the time to see if you could briefly let me know what you think about a reverse mortgage. So your mom owns her home free and clear. Free and clear. And... is what they call house-rich, cash-poor, doesn't have enough money to handle month by month. Well, she has very little left over at the end of the month. Okay. Reverse mortgages are like the last thing you do when you pulled all rabbits out of a hat. Oh. Because the reason is reverse mortgages have huge upfront fees. Okay. The TV ads don't talk about that. And so they can be a great answer if you're out of other options, because they will send your mom a check every month. A good provider of reverse mortgages will require your mom to go to financial counseling and will go over her budget and see if she's at the point that 
the last option you pull, which is the reverse mortgage, is one she should draw on. Okay. Uh, but expect that there's going to be a lot of cost up front making that reverse mortgage happen. It doesn't mean it's a, it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. They're just not a great thing. Right. So right. when you hit a point that the options have dwindled and there's not a lot of things you can pull on, that's when you look at a reverse mortgage. But with regular mortgages, three-quarters of people apparently only go to a single source for a quote, which is bad enough when you're taking out a mortgage to buy a home or refi one. With a reverse mortgage, it could be an absolutely critical error to only get a single quote. Okay. So if okay. you if you help her with this process... She needs a lot of quotes. I mean, you don't want her to be suffering financially or be stressed financially. Mm -hmm. A reverse mortgage would free up a decent amount of cash likely for her Mm -hmm. and would continue as long as she needed that money or until she was no longer occupying the house, at which point it sold. Right. Clark, if she now, it sounds like, you know, they, that probably will not be the way to go. But after she would pass, is there any money that the children would need to pay back if she would acquire one of the... Uh, Generally not. If you take out a reverse mortgage, at the time of her passing, the property is sold. And depending on how long the reverse mortgage has been out and how much money has been paid, either there will be a net of proceeds that would go to the survivors or that all the proceeds go to the bank that does the reverse mortgage. Okay, okay. So the other alternative, I don't know if any of, how many siblings do you have? I have four. Um, I am the fifth. So if any of the five of you are in really good financial shape, an alternative Mm -hmm. is that one of the five of you buy the home and rent it back to your mom, and then she has all the cash from one of the kids buying the house. That works in some families. But again, family dynamics being what they are, that's something that I recommend be discussed in a family meeting of the five siblings. What's the best way to help mom? Matt's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Matt. How are you? Hey, Clark. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. You have a question for me about your retirement plan. Tell me, are you in a 401k or what kind do you have? I am a 401k and I've been in it for a while now. Now, something I've been taking into consideration is is my company no longer matches or hasn't matched uh, our funds. So my question is, is it worth to try to keep it into a high risk in my 401k or move it over to an IRA and then start going investing that way? Well, you can only do future contributions in an IRA because your employer plan, you can only take your money out and move it into an IRA when you leave that employer. Okay. So that money stays there. Let's talk risk. How old are you? Uh, 40 now. I'm 40 years old, and hopefully I want to retire sometime around that, uh, that retirement age of 71, 72. Okay. So we're looking multiple decades So in your terms of risk, you would be at a point in your life and career where you want to take more risk, but the more risk still requires that you be diversified. 
So when you say you're in high risk, what does that mean exactly? What kind of stuff is your money in? They have a couple different options uh, through the 401k plan that we're through. I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and actually look at what accounts they've dropped them into. Most of them are overseas, from what I can tell. Overseas investing is something that I'm a big fan of, but only for part of what you're doing. Like, even for someone who's got 30 years you're expecting to, you're going to spend money, you should still be somewhat conventional where your core of your investing is in the broad U.S. stock market. And it could be, you probably have something in your plan called a 500 stock fund Mm -hmm. or a total stock market fund. And that should be the first place where a big chunk of your money goes. But We are only 4% of the world's population here, and capitalism is growing around the world, and because a lot of places are not as developed as we are, there's going to be greater economic growth opportunity in places like you're looking at investing already than they'll be here. So it's a mixed message I'm giving you. You want to have the stability of having the core of what you do in U.S., But yes, do international investing. And if you have a third world fund choice in your plan, what's usually referred to as emerging market, then that should be part of what you do too. And even at your age, you don't want to be 100% in stocks. Now, should I continue with the 401k or should I start looking at uh, deferring over uh, and the future funds moving it to an IRA? Well, if you want to keep it really simple, your 401k is one that you're putting in pre-tax dollars. You've been doing that for years, I gather. Yes, yes. It would be to your advantage if you have the discipline to do so to put, since there is no employer match in the 401k, to open a Roth IRA and start to develop a pool of money that's after-tax money to go with the before-tax money you've already put away in this 401k. And okay. if you were to do a Roth, you're going to have to pay tax on the money first. It's your comes out of your net check. You put the money in the Roth, but then it grows tax-free and is spent tax-free 30-plus years down the road, where every last penny in that employer 401k will be taxed 30 years down the road. Yeah, that's what I was trying to debate, whether it'd be worth it to take the tax taxes out now or wait 30, 30 years down the road. The mix, the mix is what I'm looking for. Because it gives gotcha. you much more flexibility based on whatever rules are at that point for taxes, for whatever Social Security there is 30-plus years from now. Exactly. And so it gives you much more ability to say, okay, this year I'm better off taking from something that hasn't been taxed. Or this year I'm better off taking from my Roth pile of money. And if you're looking for the easiest way to put money in a Roth, I think it's to go in a target retirement fund. In your case, it would be a 2045, 2050 fund and just slap all the money you put into a Roth into that, and then they handle the diversification over the years for you. The great news is that you're such a determined saver for your future. That's what's going to be your ticket to long-term financial security. Becky is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Becky. Hi, Clark. Thank you very much for taking my call. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to have you here. And you have a question for me 
of whether or not I'm fouling up your life by getting you to do something to protect your life. <laughs> well, no, it was good that I froze my credit because I was a documented identity theft victim. And that woman actually is now serving time in prison. So that was good. Well, congratulations. I know. That, that never happens that the perp <laughs> yeah. goes to prison. Yeah, they followed it through and she's in prison for three and a half years. So I'm guessing if she got three and a half years in the big house, yours was not the only identity she oh, was stealing. Hundreds. <laughs> yeah, hundreds. Wow. So she was a busy woman. She was, yes. So, so how I, long did it take you to clean up the mess that this felon left behind? Well, it really didn't. Uh, it wasn't too bad because I froze my credit right away and the investigator came to our, I work at a school district and a lot of us were victims. So they kind of did a group session and advised us of what was happening and I froze my credit right away. So I um, haven't had any repercussions from it. Except now there's something you're worried is going to be a repercussion. <laughs> Well, yes, I froze my credit. I only have one credit card, so I needed to apply for a second one. I wanted to have a second and forgot to thaw my credit before I applied. So even though I have a high credit score, I was denied, of course. And now I want to know, how should I wait a certain period of time before I apply again? That denial, I'm trying to think what happens with that denial. If your credit's frozen actual real application occurred that would show as a a hard inquiry on your credit okay because they couldn't do an inquiry on your credit okay so i guess it's outside it's possible that it will show up as an inquiry but i don't think so and if your credit's really good the hit for that inquiry is not that significant or meaningful anyway so okay uh, You know, I would love to tell you, you only have to thaw one credit file to do that application, but Mm -hmm. it's very hard when you apply for a credit card to know which bureau they're going to pull from, and so often you have to go through the steps of thawing all three for the application. When you look for that additional credit card, have you heard me mention credit card tune-up? Yes. Yes, I will I will use that. And yeah. then you'll have a sense for your particular credit pattern what card would be best for you to look at. Okay, I'll do that. Now is there is am I more likely so you don't think I'll be denied just because I was denied once? No, no, no. 30 days. No. Okay. I don't okay, think well, that'll be an issue at all. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I'll remember to at this time. So And Becky, that is the best news I've heard all day, that you were identity theft victim, had very little harm from it, but the crook is in jail for 3.5 years. Good stuff, because most of the time, the identity thieves don't serve a day in jail. It's a crime with almost no punishment, and that your perpetrator ended up locked up. Good stuff. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Everyone sells today. So how do you bring your best sales game every day? Simple. Listen to the Advanced Selling Podcast on Podcast One. Hi, I'm Bill Kasky. And I'm Brian Neal. Each week, we answer listener questions like, how do I compete against a cheap competitor? And Brian's favorite, because he always has an answer to this, how do I meet with a CEO when they won't even return my calls? The Advanced Selling Podcast is where the best go to get better. Listen Mondays on Podcast One and on iTunes.
What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them yeah. in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, he never seemed to speak back to you. He was just like, kept themselves to themselves, and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.